Hey everybody, it's JT. What is on your holiday meal shopping list? Well, I would suggest Painted Hills Natural Beef. It is some of the best beef in the world. And your friends and family will be thanking you for a long time if you serve Painted Hills Natural Beef for your holiday meals. And now you can buy it online just by going to PaintedHillsBeef.com. Use the code BBQNATION at checkout and save yourself 15% on your order. Give Painted Hills Natural Beef a place on your table this holiday season. It's time for Barbecue Nation with JT. So fire up your grill, light the charcoal, and get your smoker cooking. Now from the Turn It, Don't Burn It studios in Portland, here's JT. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the nation. That's Barbecue Nation. I'm JT, along with Ms. Leanne Whippen, my co-pilot, co-host, and co-conspirator in the barbecue world. And we've got the normal amount of uh, vagrants hanging around the Turn It, Don't Burn It studios here in Portland. And we are proudly on the USA Radio Networks. We'd like to thank the folks at Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef the way nature intended. You can check them out online at PaintedHillsNaturalBeef.com soon as i get my timer set here we can we can do this oh come here um we've got udell watts the fourth with us today udell is the proprietor of old arthur's i'm trying to do too many things at once which is never a good thing for me uh in illinois and he's got quite a story to tell about the history and the company of old arthur's udell welcome yes welcome Glad to be here. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, it was great to meet you down in Texas there and get a little smidgen of your story. And then some of the stuff that you sent Leanne and myself, um, pretty interesting. But first, tell us what Old Arthur's is actually all about, the company. So we get, we're Old Arthur's Barbecue. Uh, looks like my uh, connection is a little bit unstable, so you have to bear with me. Um, you know, my father and I brought Old Arthur's to life, oh, about 10 years ago as a way to uh, begin to tell Arthur's story and to, to uh, share his legacy, um, something that we've always been proud of in, in our family, uh, but we really haven't, uh, you know, up to this point, hadn't made a big deal out of. We knew that we were sitting on something really special. We just weren't sure what to do with it. Um, my great great-grandfather Arthur, when you look at the bottle, you look at the products, that is his photo on the label. Um, you know, the man started out enslaved in Kansas City, Missouri. So for the first 28 years of his life, uh, you know, he was a slave. Um, his job revolved around open pit barbecuing day in and day out, all day, every day. That's it's what he was tasked with doing. From the earliest of ages, he was responsible for making sure that the cooking fires on the big production farm that owned him, uh, that those cooking fires always had wood available. So, you know, at the age of five, six, seven, he was making sure that the indoor hearth had wood, the outdoor hearth had wood, and that the open pit in which they, you know, commercially roasted meats also had, uh, you know, wood available. So by the time he was in his teens, he was actually also responsible for the the roasting of those meats, uh, meats over the open pit. And, uh, you know, so that's where he began to dabble with whatever he could get his hands on to uh, complement the, the, the meats that he was preparing. Um, you know, he 
often say he never really got the instruction. He had to learn on his own. He had to learn the hard way, but he also knew he couldn't afford to make too many mistakes, um, you know, given the circumstance that he was cooking under. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, fast forward to the age of 28, he actually found himself uh, free through the Emancipation Proclamation at the end of the Civil War. And when he was set free, the only thing of value that he had to bring with him out of bondage were his skills and his recipe. So he left Kansas City. He wound up here in central Illinois and quickly discovered that he had the ability to put the skills and those recipes to work for himself um, to earn a living. And he set about doing so. And over the course of the next 80 years, the man lived to be 108. And so over the course of the next 80 years, he carved out a heck of a name for himself as the go-to pitmaster. If you were holding a city festival, a county fair, a community event, you sent for Arthur and had him come to town and execute the barbecue that you had been planning. So, um, you know, he was pretty specific uh, about uh, his requirements. If you're going to send for him, it meant that you were also going to uh, put forth the resources to have a proper pit built. And for him, a proper pit, pit meant at least one pit that was 40 feet long, four feet deep and six foot wide. And I've, you know, I've got some photos that I can share with you later of you know those pits being dug, uh, topped with um, rebar and cattle wire, and then pork shoulder uh, topped on, on those that were then turned through the night. So that was his method of operation when he did a big open pit barbecue. So was that's he the, digging that's the, the, yeah, was he digging the pits in the ground or were they above level? Above they the ground. Were, they were dug in the ground. Amazing. Um, so the, like the photos that I'll share, uh, they are actually four feet below grade. And uh, you know, for a big city event, I have newspaper articles going back as far back as 1916, 1916. Uh, in which he fed 11,000 people on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, that's a lot of meat. <laughs> um, that is a lot of meat. Yeah. You know, so, you know, they were pretty substantial bits. Well, yeah, does that every weekend. Yeah, and, yeah I don't it's know exhausting. You... It's exhausting. Um, you know, I'm just glad that he lived to be 108 years old, because, again, once again, it proves how barbecue is good for you and it helps with longevity. <laughs> I, wish we, I wish we could make that claim. <laughs> he I, I read most of the stuff you sent me, in fact, all of it. And he Arthur could not read or write. So how did he pass down the recipes? You're right. As a slave, he, he got married. He started a family. He was able to get his children educated. We have his recipes by virtue of his children's handwriting. And wow. so well, that's because of that part of our give back every year. We have a couple of different children's charities that we've created, um, you know, that we support uh, just in honor of children's literacy. Do those kids in your charities, do they get to come to old Arthur's and have a barbecue? Every now and then they get a, they get a little taste. So one of them is actually a, uh, you know, the public library back in my father's hometown uh, where I grew up in the Quad Cities, uh, Rock Island, Illinois, to be specific. Uh, one of them is a charitable trust at the public library there. And, uh, yeah, occasionally he does a uh, barbecue type of activity there for friends and family at the library. So they get a little taste every now and then. Can we come? <laughs> <laughs> 
Absolutely. <laughs> so when we were at the National Barbecue Convention in Texas a few weeks ago, you uh, did a lot of walks accepting all these awards for your sauce. Was it just one sauce or do you have a couple of sauces? So we have uh, right now we've commercialized two of his sauce recipes uh, and six of his dry rub recipes. And you're right. We did. We won uh, three different awards uh, for tomato based mild sauce. We actually walked away with top honors. So uh, first place for tomato based mild. We walked away with third place for tomato-based spicy sauce. And then one of our dry rubs, Smokestack, which is probably our most versatile, uh, like true Kansas City, what do you think, barbecue? Mm -hmm. Kansas City barbecue flavor walked away with fifth place for uh, for poultry. We'll enter it in uh, poultry. We'll enter it in pork. Sometimes we'll enter it in beef. And it always does well, you know, wherever we enter it. It's just, it's that versatile. Wow, we're, congratulations. We're talking with Udell Watts the fourth. What's interesting about this, I mean, old Arthur has got this story that goes on and on and on, but what's really interesting to me also, uh, Udell, is that it's all been kept in the family. Yeah. You know, we see so much these days where uh, some barbecues, uh, brick and mortars and things are not being passed on because maybe the kids don't want to work that hard uh, maybe they just have no interest in it running a barbecue uh restaurant is a lot of work and you can ask miss whipping about that mm -hmm. uh it's it's a hell of a lot of work but i think that's very cool that you and udell the fifth and everybody else is involved uh to keep old arthur's going how important is that to you that the fan is so family centric that, you know, it's kind of an unbreakable circle there. Well, it's the, the entire intent behind my effort with old Arthur's is to create a brand based off of Arthur's legacy that sustains future generations of our family, mm -hmm. my children, their children, their cousins, their nieces and nephews. Um, you know, it's right now it's a, um, it's a hobby that we're transitioning into being a real business. And we're, you know, there's life into the tunnel. We have some fantastic things that are happening for us, you know, right now, as a matter of fact. And, um, you know, we're not, uh, we're not a restaurant. We're a set of products that are designed for retail. And um, it's it, uh, incredibly important that, you know, my son be uh, involved, that my children be involved, because I'm building this business for them. So they need to they need to be a part of what's happening. They need to uh, understand it intimately. They need to be part of the decision-making. Um, earlier, you had, uh, you know, you mentioned the idea that there's a lot of Udells involved, uh, including my father, uh, Udell III. And you're absolutely right. And But that's also part of the legacy behind old Arthur's. As a slave, Arthur, you know, Kansas City, Missouri, so it's a little bitty crossroads town called Udell, Iowa. And that was the first place outside of the slave state of Missouri that he laid his head as a free man. He didn't stay there long before he learned of the opportunity for, for paid employment over in this community in Illinois, which is what he set out for and where he wound up landing. Uh, but once he got there and he got married and started a family, he did name his firstborn child Udell. So it's been important for us to carry that name 
uh, in that direct line of firstborn sons. Um, that's why they're five Udells at this point. <laughs> it makes it easy to name your first child, doesn't it? <laughs> it, it does. It also it ties your hands for all the other kids. <laughs> We're going to take a break here on Barbecue Nation on USA Radio Networks We're t- uh, and come back with Udell Watts the Fourth from Old Arthur's uh, Sauces and Rubs, award-winning now, I can say, uh, Old Arthur's mm-hmm. uh, Sauces and Rubs. And uh, Miss Leanne and Udell and I will be back right after this. Don't go away. Hey everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to Barbecue Nation here on the USA Radio Networks. I'm JT along with Leanne Whippen, and today we're talking with Udell Watts the fourth from uh, Old Arthur's in Illinois there. Uh, if you'd like to email us, you can just go to Barbecue Nation JT and uh, there's a little box on the bottom. You can send us a note and then either Leanne or I will get back to you on that. We just did that yesterday. As a matter of fact, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you can follow us on Facebook or Leanne and I both have our individual Twitter accounts and Barbecue Nation has its own Twitter account. And uh, we're lots of tweets out there. That's all Mm -hmm. I can say. Lots of tweets. Sometimes we even put an image of food in there. Leanne, it's always a Snickers bar, but sometimes I actually. Occasional fish. I throw in a fish now and again. You fish, Udell? I do. I love to fish. Uh, It is my one hobby. You're talking to that blonde up in the left-hand corner of your screen there. She's a maniacal fisherman. I got to tell you that. And she actually uses a rod and reel versus an M80 or something. So, so she's, <laughs> she's really good on that. Um, have you had a lot of interest in Arthur's story? I mean, it's a fascinating story. And we're going to jump into some of that here in a second. But if you, you've kind of laid out for us... Um, all the different things that he did in his life, not all of them, but as much as we can get in here today. But it's so fascinating. One of the things I found fascinating is because my uh, great-great-grandparents came out to Oregon, where I live, from New York. And they came across the Oregon Trail and all that jazz. But when you were talking about Arthur liked to imbibe once in a while, and he had a horse and and, uh, wagon that he would drive to town, followed by his wolf and all that. Uh, But he could, after he had a couple snorts, he could just head the mare home, and she would get him home. That sounds like something some of my relatives did, Um, and probably still do. I'm not sure. (laughs) But... uh, Do people, when they read this story, what's their reaction? Uh, they're absolutely absolutely amazed that uh, the whole thing is almost incredible, and uh, they're they're amazed that one we have possession of the knowledge that it even existed, um, let let alone can tell the stories. Um, you have to appreciate that my father uh, my father was five when Arthur died, so he had memories of 
sitting on Arthur's laughing story, you know, talking to him. Hey, he wasn't just a story. And, um, you know, my father's not alone. We have, he's got longevity runs in our family. Uh, I've got probably 16 or 17 aunts and uncles that are all above the age of 85 uh, mm -hmm. that re remember Arthur. And every time I go and visit with them, are pulling out even more photos from photo albums and, and telling me stories about him. So it's a very real thing. I've got a lot of old family photos. And some of them go way, way back to the what they call the thrashing cruise because my ancestors were like grassland farmers and stuff like that. And every once in a while, another we find another one out of somebody else's scrapbook. And, and there will be like my great, great grandfather as a child, you know, driving a team or something like that. I guess I come by all the horse stuff naturally, but uh, I just find it fascinating because you talk about Arthur's walk from Kansas City up to Illinois, just that in itself and in the times he did it and surviving that is a story in itself. Yeah. It, it's it's it, the whole thing is so incredibly rich um like when arthur imagine walking from kansas city up to iowa and then i'm not sure exactly how he got from iowa over to illinois which was like another 140 150 miles you know he he probably walked a part of it he probably rode you know hot trains hobo style um but it, it in itself was quite a trek um, interestingly, once he got established over in Illinois as and and as a pitmaster, and his uh, reputation began began to keep him in demand. Somewhere in that trek, um, up through I uh, up through um, Missouri and into Iowa, he actually crossed through a stand of of hickory trees on a farm that he decided were growing in the perfect condition to provide the right flavor for barbecues if he's doing something significant to the point where part of his um, requirement for doing a big city festival was for that uh, event planner to send a truck back over to Iowa to that farm to collect wood to back for the um, actual event. It's, wow. I mean, that's just how rich and intricate like the whole story is you know how did they hire him i mean we didn't have cell phones we didn't have email we and we had sketchy mail service if somebody was going to write him a letter but then he couldn't read it so i'm sure he had to have somebody else help him with that how did they contact him yeah, that's a question I, you know my father always describes it as they sent for him um i just always assumed that you know, that somebody sent a telegraph to town and just let, you know, the telegraph office or something, let him know where the mm -hmm. post office let him know. I don't, I don't know. That's yeah. a good question. Yeah. That's kind of interesting because he, he lived in the country as it yeah. were. So but remember he, he, you know, his, his kids were literate. He had, he actually owned his own home. So he very well could have taken it could have been a letter that came to the house. Um, he might not have read it himself, but somebody would have read it to him. Mm -hmm. It's it's hard to say. I, I really don't know. That's a very good question. I'll have to dig into it. Yeah. We are just touching the tip of the iceberg on this story, and it's so fascinating to me. Have you considered doing a book on this? 
You know, there's a book published uh, actually a year ago, May, by an author named Adrian Miller. Uh, we um, know Adrian. <laughs> yeah. Arthur was treated in one of the ch uh, early chapters of that book. Um, we Our paths happened across, and he was fascinated by the story, and he asked me to write the basic outline around old Arthur, and he included it in, in, uh, in his book, Black Smoke, yeah, Black I've got Smoke, it. yeah, I've got, I, I got it too. It. I've got it right here. It's a and... Fascinating read. There's definitely a story there. Hard, hard to say. I think I think there is a book there though. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. We're going to take another break. We're going to be back with Udell Watts from Old Arthur's Barbecue right after this on The Nation. Stay with us. If you're enjoying GT and his show, come check out my podcast, Around the House with Eric G, where we talk home improvement and design right here where you catch this podcast. Head to AroundTheHouseOnline.com. Welcome back to Barbecue Nation. I'm JT, along with uh, Miss Leanne Whippen, the fish slayer, um, and <laughs> Udell Watts the fourth. We'd like to thank the folks at Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef, you can be proud to serve your family and friends. You can check them out online at PaintedHillsNaturalBeef.com. Also, Gutter Wilhelm Knives. I've got some. Leanne's got some. I uh, do. David Malik is a great guy. Check them out online. Uh, if you want some really good knives for your kitchen or if you're barbecuing or even if you're competing, uh, take a look at Gunter Wilhelm online at GunterWilhelm.com. We're talking with Udell Watts the fourth here about old Arthur. Um, he had us, you, uh, in the overview you sent me, you said that he would always kind of joke about would never die broke. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure he he probably never even really had money till he got away from being a slave and made his journey up to Illinois and started working. I imagine I imagine what that first quote unquote paycheck felt like to him. Yeah, it had to be pretty satisfying, to be perfectly honest. You know, even when he first got to Illinois, um, you know, he like his first few months in the small town of Kiwani, uh, his existence. Uh, consisted of knocking on doors and asking if he could work work for in exchange for a meal or uh, uh, you know change or whatever until he was actually able to find a job and become employed once he got employed then he could focus on actually functioning as you know a, a side hustle as a pit master you know as uh, until that grew but the whole idea that you know he, he always used to joke about he'd never die broke um, is it's it's uh, tragically fascinating is the only way I can describe it. So as a child, one of his uh, one of his responsibilities was um, bringing his master's horse either to him if he was leaving the farm or going to get it, fetch it, and uh, take it away to be have this you know saddle removed and have yeah. it rubbed down if he's returning uh, to the farm. Well, the horse had just been shod. Now, if you know anything about new horseshoes, horses have to get used to like the new shoes. Well, this horse had just been shod 
and it wasn't yet, um, you know, used to the shoes, but he, you know, he was, uh, went to fetch the horse anyway. So as he's, as a, I don't know, like a, maybe a seven-year-old leading the horse out of the barn, the horse's hoof, front hoof caught on the threshold board at the entryway to the barn and the horse stumbled and it kicked out trying to free its hoof and it caught him in the back of the head. It just, it absolutely just laid him out. Uh, in fact, they thought that it killed him. It, um, you know, he was uh, unconscious, he was motionless, and they thought he was dead, but then they realized he was uh, still breathing. So they sent for help, they sent for the vet. And, um, you know, stationed in life. And so uh, <clears throat> when uh, the, the vet, the help they sent for, uh, clean the horrible wound in, in the back of his head, which included removing um, like bone fragments at the point of um, impact, which left a very small hole all the way through his skull. And, and realizing that he'd never make it like that, um, you know, the, um, you know, the gentleman that was helping, he took a silver dollar, he heated it in the fire, then he, um, um, Pulled it with alcohol and put a medicinal salve around the edge, and then put it in place over the hole. And then he tied a rag, uh, you know, around it, and explained to his people, like, yeah, I'm not sure if he's it, but the, the, to give him the best possible chance, you're going to have to change, you know, the rag that's holding this silver dollar in place. You're going to have to change that, and you're going to have to put, uh, continue to clean around it, the medicine around. It. So basically, over time, the skin began to clue back over that silver dollar uh, to the point where he did not need the rag holding, um, you know, on the back of his head. And, and so uh, that stayed with him the entirety of his life. My father recalls sitting on his lap asking, uh, Grandpa Arthur, tell me, tell me about you know, such and such part of your life. Tell me a story. And he would talk, talk about some of the hard times he saw, but he would always end it by jokingly saying, but old Arthur will never die broke. And if you asked him, he would lean forward and he'd let you see that little spot in the back of his head where you could still see a wow. of the uh, silver dollar peeking out from the skin. Huh. Wow. How He was a tall man. From what I can gather from the image, that's part of his daily ritual. He, he was, yeah, um, probably about six foot two, six foot three, which was pretty tall for back then. Sure. Uh, but, he, but he was, um, he was an exceptionally strong man. The people in the community called him the, the double strong man, just for some of the some of his feats of strength. Yeah. Well. So uh, do you do you follow in in? in their footsteps and do you still cook in pits below the ground or how do you do your barbecue today? It's, it's been a long time since we, since I've uh, cooked over an open pit. I, I have, uh, it's probably been 20 years since uh, mm -hmm. we've done one. My father and I talked about maybe doing one this summer just for the, the nostalgia of it. Mm -hmm. And um We'll keep you posted. We'll send photos for sure. <laughs> oh no, 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 no photos. We're we're coming. <laughs> we're yeah. We want samples. <laughs> we can definitely do that. 
So when when digging these pits, I mean, Leanne's done catering and she's owned restaurants and stuff, and I've done catering and and when you talk about feeding like four thousand people, that in itself is just kind of mind blowing, you know. Um, I get it that it was probably Fourth of July or a county fair or whatever you dealt, but that is, as we said in the first segment, that's a lot of meat. Uh, you know, well, being, being in Illinois now, it kind of, my question is, was he cooking beef? Because, you know, it's a lot of beef there, but no, he was doing the, the hog thing, huh? Iwani was known as the hog capital of the world for hog production, um, during world war one and world war two, the, the volume of, of, uh, pork that was shipped out. Uh, you know, to the world uh, was unsurpassed uh, from anywhere else. So they were known as the hog capital of the world. And that was his thing was pork shoulder. Awesome. Wow. I know there's a lot of restaurants that serve pulled pork or whatever. It could probably take some really good lessons from Mm -hmm. the way old Arthur cooked stuff. Because to me, it sounds like the real deal, if you will, you know, Digging those pits and lining them. I, I looked at a lot of the, the images you sent and, you know, they were lining it. And you, there was one that kind of, well, there's several, but one in particular, I was thinking that they kind of take a, a long shot down the whole pit when it's full and you've got three or four guys, some of your relatives there tending to the pits. It's like, holy moly, that's that's incredibly large and you know they didn't have digital thermometers in those days or anything like that you just had to know when it was done yeah they uh it's it's interesting they would um they'd fill the pit with oak timber uh you know and light it at four o'clock five o'clock in the afternoon so that by eight o'clock or nine o'clock it'd be down to um you know to embers to coals and that's when they put the shoulders on and then they would spacemen at, at five foot intervals on both sides of the pit with long handle pitchforks and then they would be responsible for uh, you know working um as far as they could reach to the right as far as they could reach to the left and turning those uh those uh shoulders through the night now arthur i know for a fact was uh, 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 up, oh, you're breaking up again. Pretty particular about the we got reprimanded. He wanted you to get underneath it, lift it, and turn it over. That and you still have his pitchfork, right? <laughs> I do have his pitchfork. I have his pitchfork. If you go on our website, you'll see um, a photo of um, like men with long handle pitchforks turning turning. Uh, uh, pork shoulder in the evening. So I have Arthur's pitchfork from that last event. And then I have my grandfather's pitchfork, which is a shorter handled uh, aluminum pitchfork from, I don't know, it's like 1954 uh, an event that took place uh, in, I think, like Galva, Illinois. Um, so you have six dry rubs. When did the dry rubs come around? Because I can't imagine him back in the day using dry rub. Um... Spice blends. I don't know. I have no idea who created the the 
uh, term dry rub. Uh-huh. <laughs> to me, that's just a, it's a marketing uh, uh, ploy. But it's uh, they're just spice blends. He had um, a handful. Uh, he had a number of uh, seasoning combinations that, um, like, we gave him cute names, but he was pretty literal. Like his his barbecue sauce, uh, it was his red sauce. He didn't even call it barbecue sauce. Uh-huh. Um, you know, he's got marinades that we haven't yet done anything with, and. They're basically based off of like the main profile flavor. Um, the some of his dry rubs were based off of uh, the protein that it was going to go on. Like you know, he had one that he only put on pork. He had one that he only put on goat. He had one that he wow. only put on. I mean, it's a hundred years with the trial effort. The man had plenty of time to experiment. We're going to go ahead and take another break, and we're going to come back with Udell Watts the Fourth from Old Arthur's Barbecue and talk more about pinches right after this on Barbecue Nation. Hey, everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef, beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to Barbecue Nation. I'm JT along with Leanne Weapon, and today we're talking with Udell Watts the Fourth. And there is a Udell Watts the Fifth. I will tell you that um, from Old Arthur's uh, barbecue sauces and. Uh, rubs or seasonings as you Dell calls them like that. What's the best thing or the biggest thing you Dell that you've learned about your grandfather, your great grandfather? You know, it's, it's actually something that I've seen, not only, not only something I've learned about him, but it's something I've seen in um, the generations of you that I have been privileged to know my grandfather my and my father it's a, just a sense of self-determination um it, mm-hmm. you know arthur, arthur had, had making his way out of bondage and making a name for himself in the kiwani community for 80 years um you know turning turning into an icon of that community. i saw my grandfather have similar impact in the community that we uh grew up in my father was just named citizen of the year in our hometown uh, awesome. three years ago so it's it's a sense of self-determination that's uh, really important um you talk about and i read some of the old newspaper articles that you sent um you know he was he was just a, a basically a hard-working guy and i know he came out um as a you know started as a slave and all that and and that part of his story but did he get his determination from his mom and dad or did he even know his mom and dad a lot of people that were in that situation never actually knew their folks he actually he did know uh, his parents he knew he knew he knew uh his mother he knew his father. He knew the man that also that raised him as his son. So his father and the man that raised him, two separate people. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so he was all you know quite familiar with uh, you know everyone in the equation. Um, I I think his sense of self determination was inbred. I, I, it was just it was just a part of who he was. He knew that uh, if he was to make it, it's because um, he relied on himself and no one else. And uh, you know he he had a he had a really tough tough uh, tough beginning. You know you start out life as a slave, uh, then you're freed. You got absolutely nothing to start with. Uh, you, you know, and so interestingly, when he moved to Kiwani, Illinois, um, one of the stories that he often told, which you know, was when he realized that Kiwani was where he would stay for the rest of his life. You know, when he moved there, and you know that first couple months when he was just knocking on doors of businesses asking me you know, can I clean up uh, in exchange for a meal can I help you um he went into a bar and the barkeep said I'm sorry I've already cleaned up but I've got barrels of whiskey and beer coming you can unload those later in the day when when the wagon comes if you wait and so he waited two hours the wagon showed up Unbeknownst to Arthur, there were uh, you know three good old boys that usually uh, did that work in exchange for a couple of rounds at the bar, and they were pretty incensed that this guy showed up and he was cheating them out of their drinks. Uh, but the barkeep, you know, the, who was actually the owner of the bar, said, "No, he asked. Uh, he was here fair and square. Um, I've hired him. Leave the man alone. Let him do his job." And they uh, they realized I, actually they were mad but they're also joking there's no way he's going to be able to handle these uh barrels of of alcohol it takes three of us to move one to the basement there's no way you know this one so-and-so is going to be able to do it well a barrel what we know is a keg is a half barrel a barrel weighs about 310 312 pounds and you know he needed to get that down to the, the cellar of this building um, so he shouldered it. He put mm-hmm. it on his shoulder and he walked the first one down. He came back up. He shouldered the, the second one and uh, walked it down to the basement. And when it became apparent that uh, he was going to get the third the third and final one down there, uh, the ringleader of the three uh, went ballistic uh, because, you know, he had bet the others that this guy wasn't able to do it. Um, Arthur got it down there. And um, so he lost the bet. And now he's ready to fight because Arthur's cost him money, cost him drinks, and now he's cost him money. And, uh, you know, so the guy called him out in the street. Arthur tried to refuse. Um, he hung out in the bar as long as possible. Uh, the barkeeper even said, hey, look, somebody that's able to do that with, a, you know, with uh, barrels of alcohol, you probably don't really want to fight somebody like that. Leave, leave the man alone. <laughs> and, uh, but they insisted because it was three to one. Uh, they insisted. Well, Arthur finally obliged them. This is the only way he's going to be able to leave the building. Um, they wound up in the hospital. Arthur yeah. wound up in jail. And, oh. um, you know, as a newly freed slave, the only outcome of what so he, um, he's, you know, he sat up, he was in jail, he sat up all night, worried about, you know, what was going to, what was to come. Um, and he was surprised the next day he got a uh, had a bench trial in front of the judge, and the um, shopkeep, the barkeeper, showed up for the trial. You know, for the hearing, and he told the truth. He told the, the whole story, and uh, 
the judge essentially said, well, it sounds like they kind of got what they uh, asked for. And uh, he's like, but I got to do something here. So um, he wrote out, uh, you know, a um, edict that from this point forward, Arthur Watts may strike no man with a closed hand. And wow. he released them with that edict. And so when you know, he felt he had been treated so fairly, given the circumstances, he knew he had found a home in Kiwani. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. Absolutely. And you've got a great story, Udell. We're going to uh, wrap up this part of the show here in just a minute. And then Udell will stick around for a little bit for after hours. That's always fun. Um, but what a great, great story of, of old Arthur. I mean, it, it's, and I think you're very privileged, if you will. I mean, that's a word that people don't like these days, but to have that story in your background and for your products, because it's all true and it's of great significance to the barbecue world, but it's also a great bit of history. Mm-hmm. So we, I would- we really feel privileged to have uh, this, the, the authentic history behind us. Well, I, I appreciate what you're saying. And I agree with you hundred percent. We are privileged. There you go. Uh, that's going to wrap it up for this edition of what do we do here? Leanne? Oh yeah. Barbecue, barbecue nation. There you go. Um, we will for the uh, online set here. We'll be doing the after hours here shortly, but Udell Watts, the fourth from old Arthur's. Thank you for sharing your story with us today. I mean, it was, I could talk to him for days. It's we, just so fascinating. We just yes, might. Thank you. We just <laughs> might coming up here. We'll be back next thank week with a, uh, another edition of uh, barbecue nation and remember our motto here and i'm sure it was old arthur's motto too turn it don't burn it uh we'll be back next week take care everybody barbecue nation is produced by jtsd llc productions in association with envision networks and salem media group all rights reserved